Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. Tell us about yourself and how you got into real estate. I first got into real estate by walking into a a bar. (laughs) This took place in Los Angeles. And some guy walks in, and we're thinking, oh, the creeper. (laughs) Anyway, turn around. He he basically uh, was one of those real estate moguls. And he goes, well, girls, you know, if you want to have fun, and if you want some free food, you want to come and hang out at our at our house but basically what it was it was an open house showcase of one of those like million dollar homes oh okay we couldn't get a lot of people to come because this location was sort of on a cliff and the weather was kind of crappy so my girlfriend and i went and we had a cup of coffee and we and then he offered us champagne and then he says yeah go just look around by the end of the night he came back offered us if you come back to every open house that I have, I'll give you $200. All you have to do is just show up, come eat my food. And we said, okay. Hey guys, welcome to episode 56 of the Realized Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. I'm an Oregon and Washington realtor, and I invest in multifamily and single-family houses. And I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee. I'm a mortgage lender based here in Portland, Oregon, and licensed in about nine states. And I also invest in real estate, single-family stuff, and we're actually in the process of grabbing a duplex as well. Nice. Um, But yeah, so who are we interviewing today, Stephen? Yeah, so today we interviewed uh, Sue Yu. Um, She is an agent out in the New Jersey area. Yep. Yeah, and she she gives us uh, kind of an overview of her past experience. I think she spent the last 20 years in property management. Yeah, she had a really high-powered, interesting career in the sort of private equity, yeah. property management um, world before getting laid off, which turned out to be a, a major blessing for her. She moved into the real estate on the selling space and the broker side. Um, and so she talks about her journey and then she gives some great advice on you know how to invest in real estate and how to get started. Yeah, no, she gets really creative with it. I mean, she talked about some strategies that I mean we're obviously implementing now for yeah. our first time. At least to own strategy, and she also clarifies the difference between like condos and co-ops. Co-ops are kind of popular on the East Coast. Yeah, so. yeah. So I, I learned something new today. So I hope you do too. Hey guys, welcome to episode fifty-six of the Realized Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. And I'm your co-host Jordan Lee, and we're we're super excited to have um, Sue Yu here from um, from Jersey. You want to give us a quick like background and and just tell us about yourself and how you got into real estate? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I first got into real estate by walking into a a bar, <laughs> and uh, you know had a drink. I was very young, and uh, you know I was just hanging out. I was I was. I'm originally from California. So you're you're from California. My family's from Bay Area. You, you were born in California? Oh. Or? So I came to California when I was about one. When you were one. Wow. Yeah, okay. So, um, First generation. This, 
this took place in Los Angeles. And it was one of those bars by, I think, maybe like near the freeway near Malibu. And okay. some guy walks in. We're thinking, oh, the creeper. <laughs> then we turn around. He, he basically uh, was one of those real estate moguls. And, you know, this is like two and a half, de- two decades ago, right? Okay. I'm still young. I'm dumb. And then uh, I have my girlfriend who's just laughing. And he goes, whoa, girls, you know, if you want to have fun and if you want some free food and maybe you'll get some cab feedback, you want to come and hang out at our at our house. And we're like, oh, this is <laughs> so basically what it was. It was an open house showcase of one of those like million dollar homes. Oh, and okay. He couldn't get a lot of people to come because this location was sort of on a cliff and the weather was kind of crappy. So he was trying to get as many people there who would just kind of come and bubble up the, you know, be bubbly about it, right? Uh-huh. So we went, so my girlfriend and I went and we had a cup of coffee and we, and then he offered us champagne and then he says, yeah, go just look around, have some food. We said, okay. So basically in his language, that was go away, leave me alone. But we were <laughs> like, oh my God, this is such a beautiful place. Look at the view. And then we started talking to everybody there. By the end of the night, <clears throat> he came back, offered us, if you come back to every open house that I have, I'll give you $200. All you have to do is just show up, come eat my food. And we said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, you said, this was 20 years ago? This is 20 years ago. Now I'm wow. exposing my age. <laughs> no, no, but that's that's interesting. Like, yeah, I, I mean, we don't live in a market that really supports that. But Yeah, I, I'm not giving people $200 to come to my <laughs> open houses. So, so, but the idea was to just get people there. So people would be like, oh, look at this cool spot, get the word out. So I think what happened was he, he probably, so later on, this is me kind of figuring out, putting two and two together. So back then in real estate, I remember I used to hear when celebs or people who are high profile wanted to sell homes off market, they would hire models. Hmm. They would hire pretty people to wait, you know, on other people to pass out hors d'oeuvres and whatnot. He probably had some people flake on him and he needed to fill heads. That's what I was oh, thinking. Oh, okay. Were you serving food though? <laughs> no, we ate them all. <laughs> you know, we, just, <laughs> we literally, I think, oh my gosh. I mean, I was a starving artist. I first got into my radio That's and like TV the career dream, then. You made to go party. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, was, I was working two and a half hours <clears throat> on a live Korean FM channel radio hosting my show. And the rest of the day, I didn't really have much to do. And obviously with that said, no, not much income was being generated at all. No, mm. I didn't know anything about investments. I didn't know anything about real estate. I was just like free food, free food, free food. <laughs> and yes. So, so so you were in college or you'd finished college or? I had I had just graduated. Just graduated. And it was like uh, within probably like first two, three years. And uh, did you get your degree in art or? I actually got it in communications art. Oh, and communications are. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I ended up shifting my major to radio, TV, communication, and marketing. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where my background was already. So I knew how to talk to people. I knew how to present myself. And back then, you know, I was like 25 pounds lighter. You know, <laughs> My hair was blonde and uh, I had a lot of, lot of tiny black dresses everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, so we had a lot of fun. Um, I remember thinking to myself... After that first four weeks, so he had about four different showcases in one month. And by the time the fourth showcase was over, I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. We made a thousand dollars. And what I found out later was just by having us there, 
there there would be like <clears throat> couples walking right a beautiful like ingenue couples will walk in and they will just talk and we'll be like their little sister like tagging them around oh my god did you see the bathroom oh my god the jacuzzi is so big and we'll be like hop in come on you know just kind of that that type of stuff we're like oh my god this could be my career i made a thousand dollars in one month yay right right i found that later on he sold that home for 6.7 million dollars Jeez. Do you want to translate the commission to everybody else on the um, podcast? No. <laughs> no <I don't> <laughs> Have a good time a figuring it out. Yeah. So um, it started catching on to me a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, after going to different properties, I started developing eyes to see what really true luxury is. Mm. And it was fascinating. I mean, we get radiant floors. You walk out of the, you know, the, the, the most highest end luxury I've ever seen was like, you know, that red infralight on top of the bathroom where you have to turn and then the minutes go. And then after you come out of the shower, you feel like, oh, it's so warm. Yeah. But this was like the entire house. You had the radiant <laughs> floor. You walk around. There was no place that was cold. It was amazing. So <clears throat> that was kind of like the initial encounter of me being in the real estate. Didn't go too far. Then I ended up moving to the East Coast, back to mm. where my parents are. So by this time, my parents already had shifted, and then they settled in New Jersey. What what caused the move out to New Jersey for them? <laughs> so they moved um, while I was still in school. Um, it was just my dad's business. My dad was uh, part of this big giant corporation. Uh, you know, he was running sectors, and it is think- that that's why he made the initial immigration as well yeah so initially (laughs) there was a company called icc back when in the 80s and 70s um he was running the los angeles location and then eventually the company um you know went out of business because of the korean government politics and all these things happening Mm. but my dad was one of those um specialty you know businessmen i'm not exactly sure what he did but he tells me, oh, I created the Nike brand. I'm like, I know you did not create the Nike brand, but I did find out he was one of those people that were there when they were developing that shoes, oh, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So his specialty is footwear. Um, so he worked <laughs> with uh, brands like Fat Farm, Russell Simmons. I remember the really funny story is um, when I was in high school. Oh, actually, no, my first year of college, <clears throat> I went home. I was like, oh, mom, dad, I'm home. Yay. I'm like, where's dad? So imagine my dad is that 9 to 7 p.m. guy, mm-hmm. clock, like, like clockwork. He comes home, he goes to work. He doesn't stray. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't wear jeans. I've never seen my dad in jeans, blue jeans. I was like, wow, what, what's wrong with him, right? One day, a black car stopped in front of my house, and I was looking out. Beautiful day there's a guy walking out of this limo and the guy is wearing jeans and he looks like my dad with sunglasses on. <laughs> I was like, whoa, who is this guy? And then he like walks really fast and he goes, uh, hey, 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 it's me, daddy, daddy. I was like, oh, hi, daddy. I'm like, what's wrong with you? He goes, oh, I got Mr. LJ Cool J in the car. I was like, who's Mr. LJ Cool J? So <laughs> at that time, he was helping to license Fat Farm. Oh, wow. LL Cool J yeah. <clears throat> was in the car waiting for my dad to go to uh, Russell Simmons' house. So he Maybe. comes in. He's like, I got LJ Cool J. And I was like, oh my gosh, dad, you almost <laughs> cool, but no. <laughs> so, um, long story short, he wanted me to come into that business originally, but I think I wanted to be independent. So I did help him a lot. 
did mm-hmm. do a lot of like uh, buyer stuff. But then eventually um, I found out some developers had properties in right in the area where I was living. And they say, oh, you know, we'll give you $100 every time you help us lease a property. I said, okay, how many are in the building? They're like 150 and I'm calculating in my head. I'm like, oh my God, this is more than a thousand a month, right? <clears throat> so I go in and basically I was doing the job of a assistant property manager, a leaser, mm-hmm. a porter, the receptionist girl, and Just the like everything. a package yeah. for a hundred dollars uh, you know, check for every single home someone else was leasing. Um, yeah, that didn't work too well for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so eventually I ended up uh, getting a position with Avalon Bay, which owns um, at that time around 240, um, 240 units throughout America rentals. And then mm. I learned what affordable luxury was. And that's kind of where my real real estate career launched. I mm. guess you could say that. Wait, yeah. So they these are like kind of um, rentals that people vacation at what is it Sorry. no so avalon properties kind of like windsor properties or you know these uh, uh rental luxury rental homes people go in and if you can't afford nine thousand dollars a month but you want a concierge and you want a you know you want a nice uh, home with washer dryer inside they're mostly built after <clears throat> 2000s right yeah. so it's almost like institutional developers <clears throat> they come in they create these big, beautiful properties, and then they charge you an amenity fee of five, six, seven hundred dollars. You have the pool, you have the fitness center, so you know you feel the bougie lifestyle a little bit, mm. but without having to pay the full luxury price because the construction itself may not be a steel metal building construction. It's mostly you know wooden frames and yeah, and, and think, done in the most efficient way. Yes, I feel like they have an Avalon in San Francisco in China Basin area. So yeah, I've heard of that name before. So they're yeah, pretty they're big, really they're probably most yes. major cities. Yeah, so Avalon was, um, at that time, I believe it was like the third largest in America as okay. far as the rental property homes go. But then um, they merged with, I believe it was like Archstone or one of those companies. And then um, <laughs> GID, which owns Windsor Properties, came in and they basically split. So they became the top two companies. Um, okay. GID is based out of Boston, Massachusetts, and Avalon Bay is actually out of Washington, D.C. area. Okay, nice. Yeah. No, so, yeah, so that was my first experience. Um, I believe the property had around like 400 or 350 units, and in the office, it was the property manager, assistant manager, myself, and another leaser. So literally, it was almost like 80, 90 units per person minus the property managers just don't work you know they do everything else um so we're running around learning and i think this is where i really got to study people Mm. and uh learning to endure um and just accepting that there's a lot of different personalities um people's needs are different people's aim and goals are different so i would hear some people saying oh my gosh, I'm only going to be here for three to five years because I'm looking to buy my own place. This was their best thing to save money. And then there's others who says, why do I need to go anywhere else? If I get my credit accepted, my security deposit is $500. I move in here, I get two months free on a 14-month lease, and I no longer now no need to purchase, right? Because they're going to continue to do, and then they keep hopping around properties. So- Mm. 
10-year trajectory would happen every three years they're hopping around properties so only every three years they need to create the um uh the the amount to put down as a security deposit and everything else becomes their disposable income hmm. so they people will stay in those rentals just like long term and then move to like yeah. different ones to upgrade or, or whatever or just change the scenery yeah so surprisingly enough in the beginning when i really didn't understand that type of lifestyle um, I thought that people came, people stay for a year or two maximum, but the average report, if you look into all these different properties, and this is definitely varies between uh, regions and type of property, but um, <clears throat> we see a lot of the five-year plus residents. Wow. Yeah. In certain areas, they take over over 45%. Now, I can imagine like, like I always mentioned San Francisco because I lived there and I don't think I knew many people who owned, but they would just obviously keep switching rentals. Yep. Obviously the rents would keep going up. We can't, yep. we still couldn't afford anything anyways, but we still had obviously a decent amount of disposable income as, you know, engineers, product managers, et cetera. Yes. Purchasing is, yeah, I, I know some people, I lived in my apartment for eight years. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's And tough. then what they'll do is uh, they'll come in and they'll start to get mad at the leasers, the property manager, because remember, it's the corporate pushing, right? Because their excuse is tax goes up, inflation happens every year. <clears throat> Why would we not raise your rent? But the problem is they're pushing six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12% mm. with that limitation. But this guy who's working for the corporate office, who's living in the unit, may be getting a 3% merit increase barely a year. Yeah, so right. how does he... How is that okay, right? <clears throat> so that question comes up and some people get very, very upset and other people just get smarter and they say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to move to another property. Okay. And that property could be literally across the street or sometimes they want to negotiate within the property. But people live that way. And sometimes that's the way for them to uh, save money in a sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so that was kind of the start of my career. Um, then I ended up going to two or three different company by getting scouted. And as I was going, I became like a middle manager, property manager, regional manager, and then got into working with the actual developers because working for them, even though the title on my business card might say I'm a property manager, but what they're constantly having me do is a market study where we're looking at which properties are depreciated, which multi-units we're talking about multi-units in like 100, 200, 300, 400 units, right? And plus. So a lot of the times we would go shop them, shop them every week for a year until finally that one sign comes up where you say, okay, you know what? I think this property is having issues, deteriorating, uh, re-merchandise, CapEx, nothing is being done. And then sometimes you go in, buy them out, and then you convert. Oh, okay. So you, the model for that company was to um, acquire and remodel. So a lot of the companies do, especially private companies, not necessarily those big companies that I've mentioned, mm -hmm. but a lot of the private companies that I work for. Um, there's a company that I work with um, for a very, very long time, over a decade, um, you know, here and there. And they own just about 150 buildings mm. um, from Brooklyn to New Jersey. They're constantly expanding, but now, as a few years ago, because of you know all of the COVID stuff and the non-rental payments and you know uh, eviction memorandum happening, they're only purchasing properties that are under five million dollars. Mm, interesting. Yeah, to minimize their loss. 
So we are seeing many different viewpoints and depending on if they're the, you know, A plus type of developers, if they're B, C grade, you know, where they fit, I think their approach now is all a little bit different. So it seems like for mo for the beginning of your career, you were kind of in the, the, the developer top end real estate world. What made you kind of push over towards like selling and becoming your own, your own kind of business. Yeah. So after doing that for just about 10, 15 years, maybe a little less than 15 oh, years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so started as a leasing agent, um, hopped through, and then I was property manager for three, four different properties, did some developments together, you know, uh, 2019 came and I was laid off. And the excuse they gave me was basically, uh, your salary is too much and mm. investors can't afford it. I said, okay. Working for like one of the, <laughs> one uh, of the private developers. Uh, was it a private developer? Not, not a publicly traded company. Okay. No, not quite, but okay. it is a, it but is like a, a bigger, multi-billion, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. it is, it is still a private company mm -hmm. and, uh, it was very bitter. It was very sweet at the same time. Um, but I have to say the witch role that I had to go through uh, from having to work, you know, it was like what, almost uh, a lot of the portfolios that I was helping with, there was 11 different portfolios, 6,000 units, two phones working six and a half days, three oh. apartments from going from different areas. And then you get the word saying, hey, we love you, but we can't afford you anymore. Here, here's severance. Here's this, here's that, bye. I walked yes. out and I was like, Ooh, what happened? I felt like I lost half of my body part. Yeah. And as I was driving, I couldn't understand what was happening to me. And I think, um, it took me a couple of hours for me to actually go pick up my daughter. And I showed up to her school. She was, I think maybe sixth grade at that time. Mm. She looked at me with panic in her eyes as she came out. She goes, mommy, you're here. What's happening? Do we have an emergency? And I said, <laughs> wow, this is a reality check. Yeah. And I said, honey, me showing up to your school, why is that an emergency? She goes, well, you know, you've never come to pick me up ever, right? So that's what I miss. First yeah. six years of her school life. Yeah. I, I thought I was there you know in my mind i was doing my best to make the ends meet do this and that and just make the life for her pay for my mom make sure that she never has to ever feel like she lacks in anything then i said wow i can't do this anymore right so prioritizing and then i mm. think it took me about six months to get out of that depression the mm. withdrawal um that was the most i think now that i look back that was the biggest gift that i had mm. i think my brother, my brother's a pastor. So in his words, this is what he tells me. Um, because the environment was so great for me, right? Financially, monetary-wise, amazing, amazing. Right. I would probably never make that much. I would probably never have that much. I was very grateful. But at the same time, it was so toxic. Mm, yeah. Every time something and I get abused and I'm about to walk away, they just throw you money. They throw you a vacation. They throw you this. It's It sucks you in so much to a point where I lost me as my identity. And mm. I just became this like blur entity of 
whatever else somebody else puts in just gets filled and I just get it done. It's, it, it was so difficult to finally say, wow, what do I want? And I looked around and I couldn't even give an answer. Like, I didn't even know what I wanted to mm. order for food. I just became that person who knew how to execute. I have a goal. I set it. I meet it. That's what I was good at. And right. I'm still very good at that. But I couldn't tell if anyone asked me what I want. I couldn't tell you. Right. So my mom and my brother came back to me and said, you know, if you had to leave on your own, you would have never left. And you would have gotten sick. You would have missed out on your daughter's life. You would have missed mm -hmm. out so much. Yep. God gave you a way out. I was like, okay, I'm not going to fight that. Then my brother goes, you know, I think uh, I told you this again for the 40th time. You should become a real estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. And uh, Steve might actually uh, understand when I say this, but do you know why I did not want it to be a real estate agent? <laughs> and it's such a petty reason too. No, I want to hear it first. <laughs> so have you ever been to an open house where like developers or like an elaborate open house where people put out food or they have oh, yeah. brokers open, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. they put out a little sushi, you know, nice bubblies and whatnot. What happens there? A lot of the realtors walk in and they come for free food. They look around and then they ask for a to-go bag and then they show up late. And sometimes they go, is there more food left? I was on the developer side. So I was seeing this for over a decade. And I said, wow, I'm never going to be one of those people. Bunch of I bottom feeders. You <laughs> no, don't want to be a desperate, yeah, a desperate starving agent, basically. Yeah. And I said, oh, no, I can't. And he goes, well, try it, try it, try it for six months. If you don't like it, you can go do something else. I said, okay. Then I realized as I was going through the class, you know, the entire 14 years of developer work, the training, the apartment leasing, violation of all the fair housing laws because nobody yep. gave me training in my first three years. I actually knew the class like inside and out. And I was like, wow, why was I not doing this? Then my attorney friend sat me down and said, hey, let me give you a little calculation. This is going to like completely seal it. So you never want to walk away from this job. I said, what? And then the commission calculation came in. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> these are the properties you took care of. This is how much you did. And this is the number you really should have gotten paid. I said, what? It was like in the seven digits. And I said, no way. And he goes, yes way. Because this is what you've been missing out for 14 years. I said, wow, it's insane. So I never look back. Okay. Can and you kind of just get into... Uh, just the beginning of your journey, obviously getting your license and getting started and how you got kind of ramped up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 2019, um, I, 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 you know, I passed my, I passed, I passed, thank God, right? I got my license and um, I went into a brokerage that uh, I was very familiar with. Lots mm. of friends work there. Then I realized, wow. The expectation from them was, wow, she's been a property manager. She's been buying and selling for developers. She knows everything. I didn't know anything. Oh, I was so embarrassed. Was <laughs> it's so, so funny. You could be an expert in real estate, but have no idea how to be a no realtor. Idea. And, like... and I was so, so, so mortified. And the reason why is, um, you know, in my first week, I actually got a contract to sell a condo wow. and then the seller said i'm going out of the country tomorrow so you have to bring back the listing agreement by tonight 
I went back to the office expecting somebody to help me. I looked around, first of all, nobody was there. Okay, this is a very large uh, agency with like 203 locations. And I kept looking, 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 looking. I said, what is wrong with this picture? Then I went to the admin. I said, hey, can you help me fill this out? I just need a couple of pages. He goes, well, I don't help with any of that. You got to contact the broker. I contacted the broker. The broker ended up being in another location, like 20 something minutes down in a different office. And he said, but I'm leaving right now to go spend time with my family. Let's do this tomorrow. And basically he hung up. Oh, wow. I was like, oh. But you know what? Thank God there's a thing called DocuSign. Right? Yeah. So, so that night, um, I contacted my my seller and I, I begged him. I said, hey, listen, but I, I was so prideful. I remember I couldn't tell him this is my first deal and I cannot lose this. So I kept giving him all these things like, oh, hey, we're having a technical glitch. But, you know, I'm going to definitely get back to you. I need a broker sign off on this. And he already knew. And he said, you know what? Regardless, I'm, I decided to take a chance on you because I saw your passion. He, I said, okay. He goes, well, I'm going to be on that flight at this hour. So you need to get me that DocuSign by then. Otherwise, we deal's off. So, you know, of course, as soon as the office opened, I went and I didn't know anybody in the office. I grabbed a random stranger, told him I work in the same office as you. I didn't want to give us that. I said, here, I give you $100 if you teach me how to write out this contract right now. We sat down, she taught it to me, I learned it, I got the deal, I closed, then I left that agency. <laughs> and I went well, to where the I point of now. being there, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think what it was is now that I look back, if someone offered me a position now, I would hundred percent go back. It's a great company for people who are seasoned. Mm. Um, mm. If you could be independent, if you can time manage, if you can do your thing. So I'm still really good friends with the broker you know, right, right. There, or the senior director, everybody. Right. So now we come to um, my brokerage. So 2019, I'm all gung ho. Right. Because two weeks. Oh, my gosh. I closed the deal. It only took me 30 days. Great. I come in. Um, then shortly after I get another deal and in January that closes, then I'm about to, I'm like, why is nobody wanting to buy anything or sell anything? And then finally, when I was able to realize, oh, this is what's called the off season, COVID hit, mm. 2020 came. So completely out of job, completely out of everything. Then government goes, everything's shut down. You can't go into anybody's home. Oh, did so? Did Jersey completely shut down real estate? There was a period that's, that's as well. Yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. So there was a period where you weren't able to go anywhere except for going to take care of uh, your family, or if they pull you over, you had to give one of those excuses. Otherwise, they'll physically make you go back. Right, it wasn't considered an essential service. No, or... yeah, and then it it eventually changed, but that took I think at least two or three months. Oh wow! So. During the time, I remember I was at the ARIA Arizona in 2020 in January for the leadership summit, which was great. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. I was at that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had a lot of oranges. First time finding uh, Arizona had oranges. Who knew? I thought it was some Florida thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I met all these people. I got so pumped up. I got gung-hoed. And I said, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do like cross-state businesses. Ta-da! January, February, March. Now I'm sitting at home cooking, thinking which restaurant I'm going to open. <laughs> I'm like, um, 
I don't think this is working out for me. Um, then I realized, I said, you know, my office, the office that I have access to and my current office um, gave me a little private office, office from the day one. So I, go, I would go in there, just lock my door and nobody else comes in anyways, right? We have 6,000 square feet of two floors. So I'm just kind of like roaming around because I don't want to go stir crazy. I have put my kid in one office, put myself here, here you watch this over there. She's watching Netflix. And then I realized there's one other agent on the other side of the wall. She's sitting there every day. So her and I start talking. Hey, you have any deal for me? And she tells me everything about this office. Agents, 70% of agents are all dinosaur agents, has practiced more than 17, 18 years almost. And, and the, the longest one that's been here is almost 30 years. And they have these rooted, rooted connections to the community um, because even until today, this office branch is the highest gross, um, you know, uh, boutique brokerages in the area. Mm. So I'm thinking, okay, so a few months go by and I go back, talk to that agent again. I said, hey, do you think the agents that are older who keep saying that I'm still scared of COVID, I can't come out? Do you think they would want to co-broke, like have me use as a co-lister? So what I started doing is I started being super nice. <laughs> I started calling every single one of them. Say, hey, you know, I know I'm not saying that I'm young and you're old, but if you are scared and if you need help, if you want me to show anything, if you want to, I said, you can take the credit on record, but I'll just take the money. Let's split the commission. I'll do the foot footwork. I got... I think I, uh, that year, just by doing that and helping. And at some point, I think it really became a mentality of, I'm going to try to help you out too, because I'm sure they were not making any money. So I started getting phone calls saying, hey, I have a $2 million listing here. You know, we have five appointments, but they all want to make sure that every single time they, somebody else goes in, everything is Lysol. So I said, no problem. So I bought a stack of masks, stack of gloves, put them on. I would get there. I would tell the people, do not get out of the car. I will Lysol everything. They walk in. They'll see the home at with me on Google video. They'll be going around. I'll be pointing things out to them. Oh, can you zoom in? Let's take a look. There's the certification sticker, right? Then they'll come out. I'll go back in, Lysol everything. And then we'll go back into the car, put each other on a speakerphone, stare at each other, and then we will talk. Oh, interesting. Wow. That's, that's how I, did that's how you were able to do real estate when it was shut down in, in Jersey. 2020. Yes. That's yeah. Right. So 2020, huh. that's how, that was my and thing. Yeah. All those 75% of those agents, none of them would be able to figure that out. Like, no, they don't do that with their phone. They didn't, I mean, that's too much work, too much. It's just not their business practice. Yeah. So I think sometimes, you know, how some people, like some people say things like you just end up being there at the right time at the right place. Mm-hmm. I really feel that something has led me there the right time at the right place because I am not that young, but I apparently was one of the youngest agents in the entire brokerage. And we have 40 agents. Um, and of them, I would say 35 of them has never shown up in the until at least like June or July of that year. So it got me about four months worth of referral business and that's how i was able to do so well starting in 2019 but then i also had to put out <clears throat> you know notifications because i was really scared my parents are a little, a little older yeah my daughter was young yep. and every time 
you know, with all the unknown happening, I would come home in front of the apartment. I would literally strip, yeah. put my clothes in the bag, <laughs> walk in. My neighbors probably thought that I was crazy, but that's what I had to do because right. I was meeting random strangers in time of COVID. Um, one thing it taught me was, um, you know, I realized that I'm very prideful in certain ways. Right? I don't mind asking for help, but I don't want to beg. So, and I also want to make sure that my daughter, when she sees me, I never have to be shameful in anything that I tell her. So I always make sure that transparency and truthfulness and honesty is like number one motto. And, you know, if you want to fill that, fill that space and somehow do as well as other people who are not that way, you just have to work harder and smarter. Mm. So I think that's kind of what I learned in that year. And then my career just started going. So even until now, fast forward 2023, I have never paid for advertisements. Only thing I do is maybe like um, Instagram <laughs> stories, and then they go, "Do you want to boost it?" And sometimes I'm like, "I think this looks good." Yes, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and my my business is hundred percent referral. No, oh, yeah. I love that. That's nice. amazing. No, I love what you're saying about honesty and truth. I mean. I I mean, I think that's what we need to give our clients. So, I mean, don't take that as a negative. That's a positive um, when we're honest and we give the facts to the people. So that is actually yeah. a really good trait. So, Thank you. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, fast forward uh, two years, um, I had <clears throat> I had some phone calls that came in and it started coming in from all those developers that I used to work for. Oh, and, interesting. You know, so they yeah, started noticing... So and what they you noticed, didn't intentionally work, reach out to them or they just noticed from no, your no, no. social I, media? I didn't reach out to them, but what they've been realizing is they see like my sales, they see the awards I'm getting, yeah. they see that I'm like, yeah. you know, one of the top like 3% in Jersey. Then they started contacting me saying, hey, I need you to buy my son a property, but my rest of the family can't know about it. Hey, because remember how, how much they're tied into it, right? Mm. These are the guys that are local, very large developers. Mm. Um that they can't even like they can't even share the story of like oh i'm using this guy then another broker get really upset right so they would make me sign all these ndas so i realized in 2021 going into 2022 i have never signed so many ndas for wow. uh, industrial commercial deals is number one but number two is for buying for people with like developer families, extension That's families, such an interesting niche. The secondary like, wives, yeah. the other secondary families. Secondary wives. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. real one? <laughs> Not even legal? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was kidding. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, yeah, there are, there's definitely a, a certain percentage of that world that just wants to be totally private and doesn't want you posting that on social media. They don't no. want you yeah. sharing their laundry, right? Yeah, so I think, they have to have um, a lot of trust. Yeah, I think being like the AAIP, AAPI, um, AAPI, that means I'm really old, but AAPI, um, you know, agent, right? Uh, bilingual. Um, and I'm always, you know, I'm always very quick to listen right? mm. because I, I learned in, um, I learned during that COVID, like that peak of COVID, right? So one client got so frustrated with me and she basically yelled at me and she cried at the same time. I think it was a lot of her closed up emotion from all the stuff that was happening. And mm. she just ended up venting at me. And that froze me for a minute. But basically what she was telling me is, 
I finally made the courage to come out because I know this is what I have to do right now, meaning purchase a home. But you're telling me what I want is wrong and you are pushing what you want on me. She goes, and, and you're not respecting the fact that this was my courage, my one last courage that I had to step out of my house. It's like, how are you just stepping all over this? And she just started yelling at me. And I realized at that time, I was like, wow, like, she is so right. This mm. is like people business, you know? This is, even though some things that I know better about construction, about the bone of the house or whatever it might be, some people just want what they want and they're so stuck on it, they have to have it. And yep. in my righteousness, I would say, oh, that's wrong. You can't do that because that's so bad for you in the long run. You're going to, but you know, I think now I realize like how to get around that a little bit, give them the facts, be truthful, be honest, be open. But as long as they understand what they're purchasing, what they're walking into, it's their choice. That's what I always tell them. And that has somehow worked this miracle and have been a great thing for me. Um, so yeah, I think I did grow a whole lot in 2020. Yeah. That's such an important like skill and trade is to be able to like actually listen to criticism, you know, instead of just being like, yeah. oh, this lady's an idiot. Like, why is she yelling at me? Like, what does she know about real estate? But actually like, you know, respond to that criticism and, and incorporate it into your business. I think um, it's something that's, it's pretty hard for a lot of people to do. And, it, and it's, you, you know, people miss out on a lot of benefit from that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you get that with your mortgage guys too, right? Sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're both investors, obviously, and we mm -hmm. push on a lot of my clients, like, you know, how do you save the most money? How do you make this the best rental ever? All this stuff. And then, you know, I personally have to realize too, it's like, oh, yeah, this is an emotional decision for them. And, uh, you know, here's yeah. the facts. I want them to yeah. understand this. But then, even if it's, not my favorite financial decision for them. Sometimes as long as I gave them the facts, I can step back and just help guide them through, uh, you know, the next part. And like I said, take my, take my aspect. Yeah. At I love that you guys are a combo where you have a lender and you have a realtor and you guys can kind of brainstorm and pick each other's brain. My, um, my, my recent investor client, a rookie investor client came to mm -hmm. me and she goes, I just want two things. I said, okay, tell me exactly what you want. And this is what we're going to get you. She goes, I want the 10 and the one. I was like, 10 and the one, what are you talking about? She's like, you know, that 10, 10 and the one thing. So we're sitting here oh. over coffee. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> 1031. So, so 1031 is one thing, right? So she was talking about 1031, how she wanted to do that. And I was explaining to her, the primary homes do not qualify in 1031. Then she went back and she talked to another investor friend. She came back and she said, 1030, 10 and the one. I said, Oh, we went through, went over this again. And basically what she was saying is she wants the 1% rule and she wants the 10% rule. I said, mm -hmm. oh God. So oh, he, obviously 10% yeah, yeah. rule, never put down more than 10% <laughs> yeah. buy with other people's money. Right, and right, the 1% right. rule is basically, you know, the 1% the rent should be 1% the rent, exactly, yeah, of, right? the, of the value. And I was like, good luck hitting that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, you're going to, you're going to pay like 40, 400,000 here for a, three thousand thirty three hundred dollar you know rent i said unfortunately you're in the middle of fort lee where you're looking at new york city over gw bridge one of the most expensive real estate in this mm. area i said how's that going to happen so you know these are the things that i get a lot from my tiny investors and um some other investors who really like to listen i have a success story i'll make it very quick um 
during COVID, I had a mom who came to me. She said her son was about to go to college and uh, the dorm shut down. Then when the dorms opened up for September, she got really scared. She said, what do I do? I said, well, the house is credit. And she goes, well, you know, back when he was young, we opened up a credit card to give it to him, but we never gave it to him. And then now we realize he, his credit was riding on top of mom and dad's great credit. So he had 800 credit score. Nice. So parents gave him a little gift money and then they ended up, uh, so we said, okay, let's buy him a condo. Let's buy him a small two bedroom condo. And I told him, don't tell your friends you're the owner. He's like, uh, why? I said, well, you're going to be sharing rent and they're going to be paying your rent, putting in towards your equity. He's like, okay, guess what happened? Almost three and a half years later now, he's on his third property. He's on round, wow. yeah, round two, round three, yep. He got his real estate license yep. and he is now converting all of his friends nice. into his clients and like trying to put them under his team. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Wow, he became a managing broker. <laughs> he's trying to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super smart strategy in this market um yeah that house hacking like it's kind of like really one of the only ways you can make it make things pencil right now for for first time investors that don't have you know money to put down oh yeah and i also have a lot of those clients who are like oh yeah i want the best return ever i want to cash flow immediately i know interest rates are eight percent but can you make this happen i'm like oh gosh you know, and I think that's just a bit goes a bit with coaching. I mean, like I said, it depends on our market. You're near New York. And like I tell people about appreciation, people, let's just say a lot of people who are, let's just say bigger pockets people, you know, they have this uh, notion that you can go make a little bit of cash flow basically anywhere. And I mean, I try to sell them on how much the appreciation mm-hmm. in, in a market. And obviously, you know, like you don't get that money until you sell. So you know, whether you lose or gain value in your house, it doesn't really matter till later, but you know, there's ways to, you know, access that, you know, HELOCs, et cetera. So speaking of like, for our listeners that are here in the Portland area, let's talk a little bit about just really briefly about the Jersey market. What's, what's like entry level where, where you are. So I'm in the North Jersey market, North Jersey market, um, is uh, is very very condensed so the way we see it is um, from this point fort lee to jersey city uh, we call this the east coast gold coast okay right? so normally gold coast is in the west coast um you're going to find the most condensed real estate build in this entire market okay. so if you are any good if you have any ties to the society, like meaning like to the community, and if you are an actual people person, and if you want to make it, this is where. That's why we have so much concentration of real estate practitioners right in this area. Okay. So the property line here, um, there could be condos. Um, there's some co-ops um, right here. And the condos can start, I would say, maybe like 250000 ish okay, okay. So we're talking about like a one bedroom mm-hmm. oh yeah really quick explain because we only have like one or two co-ops yeah. in Portland. What, what i know it's more popular in jersey and and in, in manhattan yeah manhattan of course help us understand what the difference is between a con sure up in a condo so when you have a co-op basically you uh, bottom line is you don't own a real property so co-op building is literally called a cooperation. And that means when you are given shares, it's like you're a stock shareholder, right? You're a shareholder. And then you're given well, like a owning lease. a business. Yeah, yeah. You're given a lease and that lease is called a proprietary lease. 
Mm. So all the lease basically says is this is how many shares you own. This is how much right you have when we're having a meeting. If a 500 share guy says no, and you only have two, he, you know, he overrules you. Right. Right. And then, um, but the proprietary lease basically locks you into that unit. As long as you have those shares, that's your assigned unit that you can be there. Now, cooperation, they say legally, is the only property or only way in America you can really discriminate against other people. Because why? You have to have the interview to come in. They like to live with like-kind people. So if the co-op board well, says- because it's not considered real estate, so it's not exactly fair housing in the same way that- It is fair housing, but- still considered um, fair housing. It is fair housing, but the way the interview process is, uh, because the group of shareholders holders will agree or disagree to accept in- It's like pets, it's deciding to accept a partner into a law firm exactly. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, kind of like that. So that's basically the basis of the co-op. Now, condo is like a townhome condo, you know, a real property, right? Where you, there's an HOA um, yep. possibly, or sometimes we do come across uh, condos that are self-managed, which means there is no HOA, homeowners association. Um, those could be easier. But for people who are looking for an easier life with, oh, I don't want to take care of the roof or the structure or the outside. Yep. Yeah, then so but in our co-ops can you rent out the units if you own if you own in a co-op so depending on the co-op a lot of co-ops used to not allow it um and then some co-ops make it so difficult to meet that guideline so uh, a lot of the co-op nowadays after covid has eased out a little bit because people are leaving hoa mm -hmm. keeps going higher and higher so yeah. in the co-op the biggest difference is there is no separation between an HOA fee and tax. It's one fee. It's called maintenance. Oh, interesting. So the maintenance, right. Maintenance encumbrance, the tax, the board fee, the meeting fee, the concierge hiring fee, the cleaning fee, everything. And every year it goes up. So when you look at a number like a uh, maintenance fee could be like 13, 1400 a month. Mm -hmm. Right. But then if they give you a breakdown of HOA fee of 250 for HOA and a tax is maybe 5,000. Obviously, you do a quick math, yeah. that should not be anywhere near a thousand a month, right? right. So co-ops are purchase price are probably like half or even lower in a lot of the cases. Because of the fees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then for, what about like equity gain on a on a co-op yeah. versus a condo? So uh definitely condo. Um, co-op, there used to be the saying when I was growing up, people would say, oh, co-op, you buy and you got to die there. I was like, excuse me? They're like, yeah, it's so cheap to buy, but maintenance is kind of high. <laughs> so if you try to sell it, no one's going to want to buy it. So mm. unless you're thinking about living there for 10, 20 years, it's not worth it. Nowadays, it has changed a little bit, but because it's so cheap and we are completely real estateless there's no listing help us right so people are actually turning their eyes to co-ops and a lot of these co-op boards are getting smarter they're revamping they're putting in amazing amenities and spacious they're super big a lot of the time so people would go in and um, especially if your parents are not qualified to do like a senior housing or if they can't you know if they can't pay the $5,000 rent, but they're, they have just enough to pay off that $150,000 where they can pay the $12,000, $13,000, $1,500, they'll just purchase a co-op. Got it. Yeah. But co-op also does come with complications with like higher demands for credit. The ratio is super, Right, super yeah. Lending, lending guidelines are a little different yeah. for co-ops. Oh, sure. yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. A lot of the lenders don't like to deal with co-ops. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, is co-ops like, are they usually older buildings? Are they still building co-ops or most things to building anything new condos mostly? Yeah, mostly they're all building condos. Um, yeah. Co-ops usually um, are not never really built as co-ops. I think they're built starting as an apartment. So kind of a developer strategy, right? So you buy a land and sometimes you buy a land with environmental issues. So you go through level one, level two, you let it rest for a while, you build. Then what happens? If you try to sell that off by sector, condo owners will eventually create a lawsuit where a developer has to pay. But how, what's the get around to it? If you rent it, if you create that as a rental apartment, what's going to happen is renters are going to come in. They're going to be transient in and out, in and out, in and out. Five to 10 years, environmental issue most likely will clear up or they will gain that much time to clear it up. And then that's when they make a decision, depending on how much it's worth, it could convert into a co-op or it could convert into a condo. We see a lot of co-op conversion in Manhattan. Um, nowadays, I haven't seen a single co-op being built from scratch as co-op. Mostly, it's mm. all condos. And and what about the single-family market? What's entry level in your area? Ooh, so I believe until last year, two years ago, medium price was under four hundred. Right mm. now, oh. it is still a very high under four hundred. Uh, but in my area here, let's say um, Portly, okay, Edgewater. We hawk in area. If you want to buy a three-bedroom, two-family home, um, a lot yeah. of people come in with a dream between like five fifty and seven fifty. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything that's not a knockdown, got a rebuild type of property. Um, probably you're looking at like something decent. You're probably looking at starting at like low low eights, mm-hmm. um, high sevens. Um, okay. Is something small but decent. So there's a pretty big discrepancy depending on area in the in the city. Well, in the in the kind of more affordable areas of the city, what would you see for rent on like a you know four fifty five hundred type purchase three two? Mm, uh, if okay, so when you're talking about city, are you talking about Manhattan or are you talking about New Jersey? In Jersey, yeah, sorry. In Jersey, that's okay. So in Jersey, um, first of all, if you're looking at a house, single family home, about four fifty, you're nowhere near this area. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to find one that's. Uh, let's say oh actually I'm, i lied i did find one uh, for my client recently who's a uh, purchasing it under va and mm. uh purchase price was about 480 okay right? now that one is a three it's a three bedroom one bath okay. and um it's in an amazingly great school district mm. so literally this is like complete luck right, right. um if we were to rent something like that out and the square footage is less than 1,500 square feet, yeah. you're probably going to still get about $2,700. Okay. okay. Uh, but if you were to move that home here, right, bedroom, too bad, and you're trying to find something that's like medium price, there's nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And then for a $700,000 home, you're going to probably get maybe, if you're lucky, $3,500. Right. Right. So I'm not the best at geography. So I mean, I'm just assuming the closer you get to Newark and uh, Manhattan, it's just going to get <laughs> right, right. higher and higher. So I, I'm assuming this 450, 400 price point is just like you said, like way further north away from. So it's not necessarily way further north. So the geography, the way it works is there's Hudson, there's Manhattan yep. on your side and Jersey on my side, right? Mm-hmm. Along the coastline, all, even the homes that are maybe flood zone because it has astonishing views of Manhattan no matter what they're going to be high ends up you know high price 
So we're right on the cliff where I, I'm on the eighth floor looking at Manhattan skyline right now. So a condo like this, for example, a two bedroom, two bathroom can go somewhere in the realms of like very easily five, six, seven hundred thousand hmm. dollars. Um, and I'm not anywhere like near the water. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So okay. the properties by like larger developers, larger luxury developers that I used to hold exclusive right on the water, two bedrooms would start at nine, nine, nine. And then it would go shooting up to about 1.7 million. Um, three bedrooms would start at with complete no view. We're looking at like street view of cars passing, um, probably at like 1.25. And then those would go with the full view about 2.2, 2.4, depending on where you're at. Yeah, if huge variance. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, clearly like, buying in this market, investing in this market is a challenge. It seems like you've been doing some creative like financing and, and deal structuring. Um, what, how did you kind of find your way into that niche or, and, and like, what, what excites you about that? Yeah. So, um, when I was growing up, my mom was the type of person who wanted to buy a home and my mm. father was a type of person, uh, very similar to me does not want to deal with anything uh, as far as property goes. Mm. Um, and I realize that now um, because it was like, I take care of everything for everybody else outside. Right. I want to be able to pay a rent or pay a fee where someone else just comes and does everything. I mm -hmm. don't care. Right. I can do my own savings. That was yeah. my thing. As far as creative, um, you know, financing and whatnot, I'm sure you guys, I, I saw so many of your podcasts and there's so many geniuses that comment. I was like, this is mind blowing. Right. But as far as my um, rudimentary, <laughs> again, um, experience goes, I see a lot of people who do like midterm renting um, and then mm -hmm. eventually transitioning over or uh, rent to buy option. hundred percent. Mm -hmm. A lot of it. So at least is, to buy, at least to own or rent to buy is, is right. pretty common in your market. It's not common anymore because there's just no, no available um, right. properties. So what we normally do is I would look at their finances sometimes. And when I say mm -hmm. I look at their finances is I would look at their tax records. Mm -hmm. So when I'm pulling a listing and if I see a list pendants on it, which means that there is a lien on it already, um, I try to find out if there's just first lien, second lien, is it, how far is it? Is it pre-foreclosure, whatnot? If we happen to luck out and able to speak with the seller and find out it's just, they're still within that 30 day window where they just have to make the payment they can get out. Uh, sometimes we go in and I've actually made offers to the sellers on behalf of my buyers to say, hey, would you consider renting it out for my clients? Mm. Right? Because they're going to get that security deposit of a month and a half. Right. Most likely these homes are going to be in a great school district in this area. That's mm -hmm. And then with the advanced one, one month, um, they're most likely able to pay off whatever they owe a lot of the times. Mm. And if not, sometimes my clients will also advance it, advance rent, but will edit it in into the lease agreement saying right. at any time, if they do decide that this they want to convert this as a purchase, they will go ahead and give them that credit towards the down payment. And what, what will you set as the purchase price in that kind of structure? Just whatever they is market value at the time or yeah at the time of market value so we will indicate it and then we'll basically pull comps to see of course what the low and the high is and then we'll pick a mid and then there has to be some sort of an agreement um 
lot of the sellers will like to leave it as, oh, I want to leave it as market value because I don't know how things are going to change. And, you know, then we go into the comps and pulling and all that. And usually in this case, I very, very strongly recommend that the seller um, sticks with their agent because a lot of the times when I come in to do this type of like negotiation, they'll say, wow, you sound like you know a lot. Maybe you can be my agent too. I'm like, no, that's a bad, bad, bad <laughs> thing to do. So yeah. <laughs> So we try to make sure that there is that understanding. I'm guessing that a lot of times you'll have to kind of educate the agent as well and help them sort of explain 100%. it to their client. Yeah. What, how that structure works. And is Jersey, I can't remember, is Jersey an attorney? Do you it's, it's, no. close so attorney Jersey or you close for, escrow? Yes, we, no, uh, attorney review. And then, um, yeah, we are, we are, so they say we're not an attorney state, but in Northern Jersey, we are. We practice very <laughs> everything is good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In Southern Jersey, we bump heads because whenever I go down to central or southern Jersey, a lot of them they're like, Why do you need an attorney? We have a title company. I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah. And then but for these, you know, least to own transactions, you're you're typically engaging an attorney as well, or do you kind of just have Yeah. Eventually, yeah. if it stays as a lease, it doesn't go as far as the attorney, but before we um, set it in stone. I would normally have my buyer's attorney just review the documents to make sure that there's no flaws. Right, right. Yeah, just for the, the lease mm -hmm. option and, and yeah. whatnot. Okay. Yeah. And then another thing that I'm seeing these days is uh, actually, oh, today I was talking to, uh, you know, Gary Lai, right? One of our um, yeah. chapter. Yeah. So he's a lender guy. So I, him and our friends, we were talking and I said, hey, have you ever heard of like seller financing partially, but then, you know, the... Mm -hmm. Seller can't finance the whole thing. Right, right. Yeah, you can do combine with conventional financing. Yeah, yeah. And then the tenant's like, yeah, I want him to finance it, but I don't want to give you any interest. And, you know, I'm like trying to mediate the situation. So I was having a little yeah. conversation. So I think the tenants themselves have been reaching out to me. That I've been getting a lot. It's oh, very interesting. interesting. Oh, I you mean they want to buy idea. what they're living yes, in? Yes, yes. And they've been reaching out to you to help mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah, negotiate help to, that yeah, bridge that gap and yeah. Yeah, give them an assessment and all of that. So in the past six months or so, I've actually had more than, um, you know, a handful share of that type of inquiries coming through, which I found it very interesting, but only two has really made it, you know, to that point. Yeah. I was going to ask, cause I mean, that's something that scares me. Like I, like when I think about, oh man, I got to help negotiate for my client, partial seller finance, also partial uh, funding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That gets a little like, honestly, I got so overwhelmed. I was like, I'll use another agent <laughs> who knows how to do this. How do you learn the skills to do that? And, you know, how do you make, make it work for your clients and, and obviously the other person? Yeah. So I think um, as, <laughs> as cliche as it sounds, I really do believe in fairness, um, mm. you know, because I believe that what you give, it's going to come back to bite you back. <laughs> so I try to usually level with the tenants and I tell them, I said, hey, listen, you know, you are making an offer to someone who has no interest in selling. So I think laying out that realistic expectation is number one, very important. Also, I talk about the commission upfront from get go, um, especially with what's happening right now. Um, I tell my tenants, my clients who could eventually turn into a, a buyer, I tell them, hey, listen. Um, there's a chance that the seller may not negotiate on wanting to pay the buyer's commission, then this is what I would expect as a flat fee from you. Mm. Yeah. And just Oh, and so in that circumstance, you'll just charge like a fat, a flat fee instead of like a percentage. 
a fat fee. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, a fat, yeah, yeah. A, fat, a fat flat fee. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then, a lot of the times, the seller will come back to me and say, "Okay, if I sell this and I don't pay you as a buyer agent, you could be my buying agent for mm. the property that I will be purchasing to move out of this place or you know to let go of this investment." So that's another negotiation I do. Interesting. And you just hope that they're a good client after that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, some chance is better than zero chance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think a lot of the sellers now calling, right? Um, Out of nowhere, listings are like up and down, up and down. And then I get a whole bunch of phone calls. That's what I was dealing with all this week. Hmm. And of course, these are the sellers who had one point entertained selling. Then they pulled back. Then they saw the news. They're like, so I heard I don't have to pay commission oh, anymore. Oh, really? Interesting. So so you've had a lot of interest based on that. Um, and what has been what has been their risk like their their verbiage of they have they've been like, we want to reduce the buyer's agent commission. We'll still sell, but we'll, instead of paying X percent, we'll pay this percent or something. So normally the initial conversation is like this. Um, hey, how you been? I'm good. What's going on? Oh, yeah. So uh, about selling the property. So I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe you can give me a little clarification. Um, so I don't have to pay the buyer's agent anymore. <laughs> and that's usually the type of the tone I yeah. get. And I straight up tell them, I said, well, I said, well, I said, so let's talk about it. I said, tell me what you know. That's what I always ask. Yeah. So instead of me throwing at them everything that I know, I always ask them, what do you know about this? Be mm-hmm. honest with me. I said, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. And then they'll tell me some people got it right and other people completely wrong. <laughs> so this is what I tell them. I tell them, yes, um, there was a verdict, right? But it does not mean if the seller still chooses to pay the buyer's agent, you just cannot pay the seller's agency and the split comes in. You have to negotiate directly with the buyer's agent, hmm. and then you can pay either give the credit to the buyer and the buyer can pay them out, or you can give the buyer agent directly. That's basically what it is. Now, they asked me, why would I want to pay the buyer's agent? So this is the example I give them. If we're listing your condo for $300,000 in this market, hot, hot market, right? And there's no buyer's agent. I'm going to put a lockbox there. I know for guarantee I'm going to get 60, 70, 80 listing requests, right? Other viewing requests. Yep. I said, what do I do? I said, do I run over 60, 70, 80 times to show your property just with that 3% seller's agent cost? Or would you rather negotiate, right? And say you pay 1% and buyer pays the two, or you pay 1% buyer pays the one for the buyer account and actually have someone be there dedicated to show that property as a buyer's agent. Right. And they're like, okay. I, and then, and then sometimes worst case scenario, I give them a breakdown. Yeah. It's yeah, like, I'll take said, 6% to open the door every single time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell them, I said, you know, if you're selling a $300,000 property, right. And then you're offering 2%, 2%, that's $6,000. Okay. And then on top of that, they're splitting with their broker. Then they're paying taxes on it. They're basically taking home like $3,500. Mm-hmm slightly more maybe right I and said, your dues and your fees yeah, yeah. and your abuse and then they got to be there they got to show up for inspection they got to do this and that and you know until the end i said do you really think that they're making that much but what if they actually bring you a 
a client who's qualified and they're going to give you an over asking offer or what if this is the best deal you're ever going to get but you've missed out because there's no buyer's agent yeah and like, oh, okay can we negotiate sure you can negotiate everything is up for negotiation that's the type right. of conversation i've been having a lot so more of a negotiation than a than anything right yeah, Which I like think a, was ultimately the, the purpose of the lawsuit, right? Yeah, Make it's like it carrots and sticks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I like, and I go, hey, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's not nationwide yet either, though. So that's the thing. No. Too. You just yeah. tell them that. It's like, I think that was just like Southern Missouri or something. And it, so, it'll be precedent for the rest of the nation at some point. Definitely will, because I'm seeing, yeah. law, I'm following this very deeply, and then we're seeing lawsuits coming up everywhere yeah. almost every yeah. other day. Yeah. Yeah. And they but, should all you know, pass. Yeah. 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 Might as well get around it. You know what? You got to step in front of it. And that's, yep. that's what I feel. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Um, switching gears here. Um, you t We, at the recent ARIA conference we were at, you talked a little bit about using artificial intelligence in your business practice. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what are you doing? I guess if you were to recommend to agents listening to this podcast, like, maybe one or two specific tools that could help, you know, reduce their, you know, time spent doing a certain task or maybe increase their productivity in one way or another. What, what would you recommend to folks out there? So I think it really kind of falls back to the basic. Um, mm. I, I know everybody is aware of ChatGPT. Um, right. I, I am a very big proponent of Bing. So I've been pushing Bing Chat a lot. Um, mm -hmm. The biggest difference between ChatGPT and Bing is the fact that ChatGPT does not have the capability in giving you the actual facts, mm. the data to back it up. Meaning, because the data is capped at 2021, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's it's so the version <clears throat> 3.5, I believe, is all capped at three point uh, at 2021, all across mm -hmm. the board. But mm -hmm. when you use the Bing chat, so Bing is like connected to the window in Microsoft and whatnot, right. it will physically draw out. If it gives you an answer, it will give you basically, I back it up. Here's my footnote. And then oh, the it'll do like some internet search yes. or and, and give you update. And here's, here's why, here's the. So one link. of the things that I learned from teenagers while I was actually giving an AI um, a talk was that she's like, yeah, but then. You know, so I tried it out and I've been utilizing and, and I said, oh, this is great. Um, also Bard, the Google version of Bard. I like Bard in certain different ways. So you have to kind of find your niche in what type of language you like. Mm -hmm. What do you also prefer? Be very, very specific in setting the tone and how you want them to uh, do the search. Um, and what would you, what do you use it for the most in your business practice? So there's a couple of things that I use it for, but mostly social media. Um, and also I do for, you know, I, I, I don't do so much with description anymore. I used to, but yeah. I feel like when you do these descriptions. Very obvious. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right? So, yeah so I'm like, ah. um, also a lot of the times, like if I have to write out a letter to my clients, follow up CRMs, things like that. Um, I also incorporate that into like, scheduling it as well so you know another thing that i really really promote is canva mm. i know it's so played out everybody goes eh, canva but you know actually if you know how to utilize canva canva works wonders for you mm. canva could delete out the guy next to you in the photo you know all in the same frame canva could physically help you write out 
whatever you've wrote, it could rewrite it for you. It could make it more fun. It could make it more dull. You know, I mean, it has so much capability, but the best thing that I love about it is like for Aria. Um, so I'm part of Boston as well as New Jersey. Oh. So I'm, I'm Boston um, committee member and I do, you know, gala and things like that there. And yeah. For New Jersey, I'm the chapter president. So when we're overseeing social media, a lot of the times there's a lot of events that happen. Right? So sometimes I know certain things have to go out at a certain time, but how do you keep, constantly keep track of that without really paying all these different entities? Can right. You can link it with MailChimp. You can link it with any of your social media and then you can schedule it. So you just basically like, you know how the commercial goes, set it and forget it. Yeah, that's yeah. literally what I did. It's huh. been cutting and saving so much of my time. It's absolutely phenomenal. Like last night, I sent out this um, flyer to through, through Eventbrite and uh, I did some through like MailChimp and some through social media, Facebook and um, Instagram for Northern New Jersey, one of the local realtor board stuff coming up, but we're collabing with four different ARIA boards, but I needed this to be strategically sent out at 3 a.m. because it takes a certain time and the algorithm's gonna pick up and by the time people wake up and first thing they open, this is gonna pop up, right? So I was like, okay. I was like, should I stay up until three o'clock? I'm like, duh, Kemba. So I go in, I link it and I set the time, done. I had no idea that you could do that through Canva. No, I yeah. just use it for designs. Yeah. So I didn't it's know that. Amazing. It's amazing. I hope this is a good takeaway take for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you've got your day to get on with it, and we'd love to keep picking your brain. But um, to kind of wrap things up, if you know, if you were to recommend to somebody that was like interested in, you know, getting started in real estate investing mm -hmm. or, or even just like, you know, buying their first home or, you know, that type of thing. What, what would you recommend to somebody in this market? Oh, wow. Okay. So um, I've actually just done this to a couple of my people and I got a thank you so I could now share this. Um, so I had a couple who was looking only in a really great school district, right? Mm -hmm. They're prepping for seven years ahead because they're just now pregnant and they're mm -hmm. like, oh my God, we need a really good kindergarten. I was like, okay. Yep. Sometimes I think as an investor, you have to see beyond your immediate need or what you think you need, because maybe that is not it. Mm. If you look at the timeline of how long a person keeps a property in America, what is it? Like average is like seven, eight years, maybe seven years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there's a big turnover, actually, believe it or not, right around three to five years as well. Mm -hmm. So um, but that also brings up a good topic because. If you buy a two or three family multi in an area, maybe not the best school district, but if your price point is right and use the FHA, put down very little, then the second home after two years, because you will still qualify again as a first time home buyer and you can do a 5% down or whatnot, and then you move up big. And then the tertiary home could be your single family house where you're upgrading formally. Now you're in what, six, five, six units as your investment. And then you, you know, you have your primary as well. So this is something that um, I advise to someone very vaguely when I didn't really know the real estate market too well. And as I was studying and I was like, oh my God, you're my real study case that actually, <laughs> that actually did that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So now she's um, basically having her uncle, having her dad do the same thing. And, you know, both of them are on their second properties. Nice. Yeah, that's super great advice. It actually, 
when we bought our home, our first home, it, you know, kind of the same thing. Like we didn't, we weren't even thinking about school. I mean, unintentionally, we weren't thinking about school district. We were just like, what can we afford? That's not that I don't need to fix up because we don't have the skills to do that. And we found something. And, and then when later, when we went to, when our kid was in first grade or whatever, kindergarten, we, we made our move up purchase and it like, cause we were like, like, damn, I wish I would have like thought about school district, but, but instead, you know, we took a, took a home equity line of credit and we rented out that home that, which is a rental, which wasn't in maybe the most ideal school district, but it allowed us to be able to buy the home in the school district we wanted to. Um, so yeah, if you're thinking about that intentionally, that that's definitely great advice. Yeah. And then for those who have younger kids, if you have, if you're a parent and if you know that you have decent credit or good credit rather, right. And mm -hmm. if you know that you have a credit card, at least one card that you've never been late on the payment, very cautiously, I say this, um, by the time your child is maybe about eight, okay, put their social on top as on your card as an additional user, cut up the card. Don't ever tell them you have the secondary card. Yeah. Um, let them ride your credit out for eight years. And yeah. as long as your credit is in a good standing, they will ride with you. And by the time they hit 18, their credit score is going to be at the 800 level too. Yeah. Now that... Hmm? I was yeah. going to say, you got to be careful that make sure you're good financially. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you you know? have to be very good financially. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, not... I've definitely heard stories of people dragging their kids. Oh credit. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> We've seen my parents too. did that for me. And I was very, I had no idea. They never told me, you know, I had no idea. And I was very glad that they did that. Yeah. And then, you know, a little bit of gift letter, you know, and a little bit of funding and they can have their first property by the time they get to college. And again, do the same thing that I recommended my other client to do. And because this is a real live scenario and mm. it's, it's been so successful. Uh, we've been doing it to a lot of other parents. So mm. I take a, I take parents that may be looking into like school <clears throat> districts in Boston from Jersey because it's only four hour drive and they'll go. It's expensive, right? So it's called the like Austin lifestyle or whatever. You know, all these kids go to like BU and them. you get a two bedroom and then eventually like four people end up living there together you know? right um but everyone else is pouring in your equity and the yep. most important thing is how to keep a gag order of making sure that you never expose to your friends that you are the actual owner and because that is so important that's boundary right this is where the personal and the business and i think it's a really good lesson for the child to learn as well and then once they start to see that their uh, equity is growing and then eventually, if they understand that this is what becomes the base of building that generational wealth, it's not just about building, it's about maintaining and fortifying. So I think that's uh, something, yeah, that I, I really enjoy teaching people. No, I, I really like the idea of, of obviously having that gag order, like, you know, because I, I feel like, you know, obviously roommates move in, it's like, oh, your parents bought you a house, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Then all of a sudden they're late on payments and they stop paying. And... Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And Sue, uh, if people are looking to get a hold of you or find you on social media or just get just email you, how could they get a hold of you? So all my social media and all my email, everything is the same. My website, Sell with Sue. Sue is spelled with S-O-O. -O. So you can either hashtag or uh, at sign, you know, my handle is Sell with Sue. S-O-O-Y-U, sue you. If you forget, I might sue you. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, no, I That's funny. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your knowledge with, um, you know, with everyone. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Great. Nice. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.